friends, we're in the Gospel of Mark this morning, chapter 12. We're going to read verses 41 through 44. He, Jesus, he sat down opposite to the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two, two copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say it together, thanks be to God. So we're in that season right now where Halloween is sneaking up on us, and every time of year, this, this time of year, I can't help but remember how hard to beat Halloween was as a kid. And I don't know if you feel like that or not, but I love dressing up, especially in elementary school. I mean, I can remember my different costumes. I remember one year I was a cowboy, one year I was a ninja, one year I was a Power Ranger and I had this like full bodysuit with some Power Ranger shield, I, I don't know. And, and I just, I remember climbing the tree in my front yard, which I did all the time. But when you're dressed as a ninja, it just feels different, right? <laughs> it just feels different. And on top of that, it was also a night where I just felt like I completely owned the neighborhood. I mean, the idea that you could walk up to a stranger's house, dressed up as your hero, say a couple of magic words, and they're gonna give you candy every single time. I mean, does it get any better than that as, as a kid? You I mean, you're getting treated like, like royalty, especially when you get old enough to be able to do some trick-or-treating without your parents. I mean, the getting treated like royalty coupled with that kind of freedom it's, it's almost like it's, it's too much to handle. And then on top of that, when you get a little bit older, you begin to strategize a little bit. And you know what I'm talking about. Because you learn which houses give away the good stuff and which houses give away the mediocre to, to, to bad stuff, right? Like there was a house in my neighborhood, there should be one in every neighborhood, there was one in my neighborhood that would give away the coveted full-sized candy bars, which is the pinnacle of trick-or-treating, is it not? I mean, that is what dreams are made of when you get ready to go out on Halloween night. I remember when I was the ninja wondering if I could shed the shield and get rid of the face mask and go to that house a second time to get two <laughs> full-sized candy bars. And then there's the houses that aren't home and they put the bowl of candy on the porch with a very nice note asking you to only take one piece. And I feel really sorry for kids nowadays because my trick-or-treating was before any sort of ring camera or Google Nest, yeah? So I will neither confirm nor deny how I abided with that request. But it's safe to say that if they really did have the good stuff, I probably wasn't gonna take just one piece. And then of course, there are the houses to be avoided. I mean, these are the houses where it's not even really worth climbing the front steps to go up and knock on the door. 
I mean, these were the houses that your mom had to force you to go up to because they were your next door neighbors, right? Even though you knew as a kid that what they were going to be handing out is not what you wanted in your candy bag. I mean, these are the houses that would give away mints or apples or almond joys, not an almond joy guy, or candy corn, not a candy corn guy. There was one house in our neighborhood that gave away a roll of pennies every year to every kid that trick-or-treated. I mean, can you imagine the whiplash of getting a full-size candy bar at one house and then getting a, a roll of pennies, 50 cents worth? Of, I mean, what is a kid even supposed to do with that? And they live right across the street from us, so every single year I had to go knock on her door and get my roll of pennies. But when we would get home, when me and my friends would get home, we would all do the same thing every year. We would dump our loot out onto the floor and take a step back and just admire what we had accomplished, right? The haul that we had managed to bring home that night from our hard, hard work. And then we would begin to sort it. And I was very strategic about this. Because look, I'm an only child, and so I only had to worry about one group of people stealing my candy every year. And I don't use the word stealing lightly. And, and it, was, it was my parents. I knew they would ask. They would ask every year. And I would always ask, why? Why do I have to give you the handy that, candy that I worked so hard to acquire? And they would pull the trump card every year that I can't wait to pull, which is because we're your parents. And so I knew that I had to prepare for this. I had to be ready for this moment every year. And so here's what I would do. I would have one bag over here, one bag over here, and in this bag, I would put, I would put the good stuff, right? I'm talking about the Reese's and the Kit Kats and the Twix bars and the peanut M&Ms and the Skittles and anything that was sour and the Butterfingers and the Snickers, you get it, right? That's all the stuff that I was completely unwilling to sacrifice not willing to use that to pay my parent tax, right? And that bag of candy would go in my room. It'd go in the closet, maybe under the bed. I, I would kind of shift it around every couple of days to make sure that they weren't gonna stumble upon it. And then in the other bag was all the stuff that I, I didn't want. I mean, this was the mints and the almond joys and the Milky Ways, I think they're overrated, and, and the candy corn. And the now and laters, which is just a starburst that is way too hard, right? <laughs> the three musketeers and the paydays. I mean, I'd rather just have peanut butter than eat a payday bar. And then, of course, the roll of pennies. All, all of that would go into this bag so that when they asked, out of the goodness of my heart, <laughs> I could say, you can have anything you want out of this bag. You can have the whole bag for all I care. It's, it's all yours. Take as much as you want. And I could still keep the good stuff. This morning, we're still in our stewardship series. We've been calling it Difference Makers. This is week three of four. And what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is how we are a people, I trust and I assume, who all want to make a difference. We want to leave the world a little bit better than we found it. But even though we want to make a difference, we are terrified of actually being different from everybody else around us. And the motto or kind of the backbone truth that we've been going back to each and every week is that if we want to be a people who are making a difference, we have 
to be willing to be different. And this morning we're going to talk about specifically how I think Christ is calling us to give differently. And I think our scripture this morning is really pretty straightforward. It picks up with Jesus sitting somewhere where he's watching people give to the temple treasury. It seems like they're either dropping money into a bucket as they walk into the temple or as they walk out of the temple. And first, he observes the rich giving pretty large sums of money. I feel like it's what the scripture wants us to infer when when we read about that. And Jesus kind of acts like there's really nothing to see there. And later in the scripture, he says that these rich folks are giving out of their abundance. But when he sees a widow give, it's a completely different story. And the way I've always read this text is that Jesus almost comes out of his chair when he watches the way that this widow gives. If the disciples at the end of the day sat down with Jesus and watched the game tape like a good football team does, I think that this moment would be one that Jesus would play over and over and over again for that group of people seeking to follow him. And the reason is because this widow gave differently. While everybody else was giving out of their abundance, this widow, the scripture says, put in everything that she had all that she had to live on. The irony here is that all she had to live on was a pretty insignificant amount of money. And the truth is that that temple treasury probably would not be sustained by the gift that this woman put in the bucket. What she drops in the bucket is two lepta, which is the lowest monetary denomination in first century Palestine. And it really is the equivalent of one of us dropping a penny into the offering plate this morning. But for her, it was everything. In fact, I think this is one of the moments where our English translation of the Greek kind of softens the Greek a little bit. That phrase that translated all she has to live on can also be translated as her whole life. This widow gave her whole life. And when we read it that way, that Greek connects to something that Jesus says just a little bit earlier in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Mark. And it's something that you know. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's almost like the text is trying to get us to see that this widow in her gift of two leptas is living out that first commandment that Jesus gives us. And in doing so, she is giving more than even the wealthiest of givers because she's giving all that she had. She's giving her whole life. She is giving differently. After this, Jesus is sure to to regroup with with his disciples to make sure that they know that she is giving more than anyone else has. And again, right, I mean, I mean, simple math would tell us otherwise. The folks giving out of their abundance are giving larger sums of money to the temple. But Jesus and the scripture make it clear that she is giving more because she gives differently. Which for me at least begged the question this week, what is different about her gift? 
And the word that I got stuck on is sacrifice. I think it's pretty obvious, right? I think that's what makes her gift different from everybody else's gift. Those giving out of their abundance, though the sum of money was greater, there's no doubt about that, in their gift was no sacrifice. Instead, they were just giving what was left. So for Jesus, it seems that that those gifts are really just a drop in the bucket. No different than the one before and no different than the one after. And what I'm struck by this week, especially the more time that I spent with this, this moment in the scriptures, is that it seems like Jesus is way more concerned, way more interested in the level of sacrifice that accompanies a gift than he is with the amount which to be completely honest with you is a little bit uncomfortable for me because I think we all have a dollar amount in our heads that we could give to this church over the next year that we would not bat an eye at, that wouldn't require us to sacrifice, that would allow us to stay comfortable. But what we have to see for ourselves, especially when we read this text, is that I think for us that would just be giving out of our abundance like we see the rich give in the text. And more than anything for me, when I read this passage and and what hit me right in the forehead this week is that Jesus is not fooled by that. I mean, it seems like he can just see straight through it and that he really doesn't care about the amount. Instead, he cares about the sacrifice. And I, I can't help but think that Jesus is calling us to give differently too. Next Sunday is our Commitment Sunday, which means that during worship, as an act of worship, you're going to be asked to turn in one of these, one of these commitment cards. And just like last year, these cards are, are double-sided. One side gives you a chance to commit, to commit your giving to the 2024 operating budget of, of our church. And this is what I would consider to be your normal giving to our church. I mean, this is the budget that pays our our power bill. This is the budget that funds our children's ministry. This is the budget that sponsors the mission work of our church. This is what makes sure that we have everything that we need to pull off Sunday morning worship every single week and on and on and on, right? I mean, this is the budget that allows us to function normally and to be the hands and feet of Jesus for another year in in our community. And again, I think this should be your primary gift to the church. This is the most important giving that you're going to do next year. And what I would ask you is that you don't lessen the amount that you're going to give towards the operating budget just so that you can give something to the campaign on the other side. If you were with us last year, then you know that we launched a three-year, $1.8 million capital campaign with the goal of completely eliminating all of the debt that our church holds by the end of the year 2025, which is a big vision. But I really do believe that it's a vision that the Spirit has given our church as we look to the financial freedom that we will achieve when we do pay off this debt. I mean, that will be $180,000 a year or $15,000 a month that we are no longer spending on a mortgage payment, and instead we can use towards the mission and the ministry of our church. And it's still hard for me to fathom how the difference that we are making could grow with that kind of financial 
freedom month in and month out. So here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. If you don't have one of these cards already, you're going to find plenty of them on the welcome desk. On your way out, do me a favor and pick one up. And then when you get home this afternoon, put this card somewhere in your home where you're going to see it every day where you're gonna see it every day, your spouse is gonna see it every day, your kids are gonna see it every day, where the whole family is gonna be able to lay eyes on it every single day this week. And just spend some time in prayer, asking God how he is calling you and your family to give to our church over this next year. Specifically, I would challenge you to ask God how he's calling you to give differently to our church over this next, over this ne- next year. Again, right? so that we can be a church that is making a difference. I mean, remember, that's what we've been going back to over these last couple of weeks, over and over and over again, reminding ourselves that if we believe, if we really do believe that God is calling us as individuals and as a church to make a difference in our community, it is going to require us to be different. And that includes how we give. Here's my hope for us. My hope for us as a church and my hope for us as as individuals. It's that we would be a people who are willing to give differently. A people who are willing to give like we see the widow give in our text for this morning. A people who are willing to have an element of sacrifice in what we commit to give to the church over this next year. But more than anything, friends, my hope is that we would be a people who are willing to give more than just our mints and our almond joys and our candy corn and our now and laters and that roll of pennies that we don't even really know what to do with, so we're just going to give that. And that instead, instead of keeping it under our beds or hiding it in our closet, that we would be willing to give the good stuff, the Reese's and the Twix, the Skittles and the M&Ms, the Butterfingers and the Snickers. I mean, the good stuff, right? Trusting that if we do, if we give differently, if we are willing to sacrifice, that God will use our gifts to make a difference. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, my name is Ross Furio. I am one of the pastors here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. And I am so glad that you joined us this week for our message. I want to remind you that if you ever want to join us in person for worship, we are here every Sunday morning. We have two worship services, both at 10 a.m. One is a modern worship service in the chapel. We call it the gathering. And the other is our traditional worship service in our main sanctuary. Again, both of those are at 10 every Sunday morning here on our campus. If you need us for any reason, I hope that you will jump on our website, www.bluffparkumc.org. You'll find ways to contact any of the pastors here on staff. We are here for you, here to walk with you through life in in any way that you might need support. We hope that you're going to have a great week, and hopefully we'll see you soon.